If you're newer to our church, we're going through a sermon series uh, in Ezekiel. It's 48 chapters. We're scrunching it down to nine chapters. We're in message three of the nine. The things you need to know, chapter one, the first three or four verses, uh, a bomb drops because we find out that there are Jews in exile and you study it more, realize like it's a mess. The, the covenants are in tatters, shattered pieces everywhere. Israel, the land has been, uh, the northern kingdom destroyed, the southern kingdom destroyed. They're in exile. The land's been cursed. I mean, it's awful when you start to read the history. That's just all in verse one through three. And then chapter one, verses four, all the way to the end is this unbelievable vision where, where Ezekiel sees our transcendent Lord in all of his glory. And he tries to describe the indescribable. It's, it's just glory, power, awe, just overwhelming awe. And at the end of the chapter, after seeing this vision, the word is just so apropos. What do you do when you encounter the transcendent, sovereign God? The the words are this, I fell on my face. Seems like the right response to encountering the transcendent God. And the only way to understand the rest of Ezekiel is to understand transcendent God and Ezekiel falling on his face. It is the only way you can get through the remaining 47 chapters. You have to keep chapter 1 in mind and who Ezekiel encountered. And having said, when I, when I say that, falling on his face is such a, it's a powerful scene, right? How do you say, oh, it's only uh, this, like it's only one word? And I, I, I struggle to try to say, oh, this is what it meant, because it meant a lot of things falling on his face. But I think one of the meetings, especially as we see the next chapters unfold, one of the meanings coming out of that moment where he falls on his face before his Lord is this meaning of saying, I, I'm yours. And, you know, and it's wide open permission to the Lord to do whatever he wants to. And I don't even know if he's giving really permission because you don't really give permission to the transcendent sovereign God. But he is declaring, I'm yours. That's part of this meaning here. Wide open, no boundaries, no exceptions. I'm yours. And it's important as you think about Ezekiel to understand that, but I think in our life, it's also important to understand what did we mean when we said, I will follow Jesus, what, what does it mean when we say we believe in, in him? Because we have to nail this down in order for us to understand the next chapters of our life. Is, is there anything in your life that you could refuse doing for him? Is there anything he doesn't have the right to ask of you or me? Does this posture of being face down reframe maybe questions you have or at least the tone you have? It's not necessarily bad to have questions, but maybe the tone. I mean, do you have this worked out in your mind? Do I have this worked out in my mind that he has the prerogative, the right to do to absolutely whatever he wishes to do with your life and my life? And it's important we have this worked out because Chapter 2 starts with this. No sooner is he on his face 
before the transcendent Lord. And then he hears a voice in chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Son of man, stand on your feet. We need to talk. And it's in this moment that Ezekiel gets his calling. God sends him and says, this is what I am sending you to do. I'm calling you towards this out of this moment of falling on his face. And, and what, what's interesting is chapter 1 starts and it makes it really clear that the Lord does not need Ezekiel at all. The emphasis is not on what Ezekiel can do and how productive Ezekiel will be or can be. The, the, the emphasis is on God is calling Ezekiel to go, and, and it's really by grace. The, the call is amazing. It's this call to stand on your feet. It, it's, a, it's an unbelievable privilege. Do you believe that? Do you believe that falling on your face and hearing from God to stand on your feet for him and serve him, do you believe that's a privilege? Like, I can't believe he notices me, that he would talk to me and say, stand on your feet. We need to work that out now, because the rest of Ezekiel, at least the next 34 or 5 chapters, are really rough. Maybe like our life. To you, is it a privilege that God sees you? Is that how you kind of live your life? or how we live our life, that God's really fortunate that he found us, that he works with us, right? Like, look what we bring to the kingdom. He's so lucky. If we don't have this figured out, it, it, would, it will wreck us. It will, because it's one of the reasons why people avoid preaching through Ezekiel. Is because what God calls Ezekiel to do. And God says, stand up on your feet. And this is his call. It's a rough one. Just follow along with me. In verse uh, 3, he says, Son of man, I send, to you, send you to the people of Israel. So there's his calling. I'm sending you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels, who have rebelled against me. You're going to hear this word a lot. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they're a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though, with bri though briars and thorns are with you, not like around you, but with you, like dug into him, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say, and be not rebellious like that rebellious house. You kind of get the sense that God thinks something about Israel right now, like rebellious. He says, don't be like them. And he gives them this, this thing, this scroll, and the scroll had these words on it, lamentation, mourning, and woe, and he said, I want you to eat this. So he's calling, he comes, he stands on your feet, he says, I'm calling you to Israel, and this is what it's going to be like. Your ministry going forward, you serving me is going to be like this. It's going to be like your skin, your clothes, everything is covered with thorns and briars. They're going to be hooked into you. It's going to be like you're sitting on a pile of scorpions. How's that for a call? Yikes. He says, I want you to eat these words. He puts it within him. Words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. 
That, that's going to be what he, his message is going forward. He goes on, he says, go to the house of Israel. He talks about, hey, look, I'm sending you people. They understand your language. You're not going to a foreign people. You're going to people who understand you. Verse 7 says, but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because the house of Israel has a, a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I've made your face as hard as their faces, your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like Emery, harder than Flint, I've made your forehead. Fear them not. Be not dismayed at their looks for their rebellious house. Moreover, son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears and go to the exiles to your people. And say, thus says the Lord, whether they hear or refuse to hear. And then he goes on, verse 16, he says, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whether you hear a word from my mouth, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way. He shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, I lay, and I lay a stumbling block before him, and he shall die, because you've not warned him, he shall die for his sin and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, he does not, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered his soul. He gives him this call. He says, I'm sending you to these people. And he says, don't be dismayed and don't be afraid. Well, that pretty much tells him you're going to struggle with being dismayed and you're going to struggle with fear. Because their faces are like, they got hard heads, like rock hard heads. And I'm going to make your head just as hard as theirs. I mean, this is a scary call. This is intense. And then he says, look, if you're so scared and you're so dismayed that you back off and you're like, forget it, I'm out. Their blood is on you. This is intense. This is the call of Ezekiel, chapter 2 and 3. This is what God lays before him. And what then proceeds to happen is a series of, there's these object lessons that gets kind of dropped in and a lot of messages, just verbal messages of warning and judgment. And the object lessons are fascinating because it uses Ezekiel and he, be, he himself is the object lesson. They didn't have print, right? They didn't have the, the, really the privilege that we have of having a book like this. They didn't have that. So he was the object lesson. In chapter four, he, God comes to him and he says this, take a brick, lay it before you and grave on it a city, even Jerusalem, and put siege works against it and build a siege wall against it and cast up a mound against it and set, ca set camps up against it and plant battering rams against it and, and all around it. And he goes on, he says, lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel like a sign, like there's a punishment of the house of Israel. For the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear the punishment. I assign you a number of 390 days equal to the number of the years of their punishment. 
And then he goes on, he says, once you've completed that, verse 9 or 6, lie down a second time, but on your right side, now bear the punishment of the house of Judah. So he's addressing, you remember the civil war? So you had a northern kingdom, 10 tribes called Israel, and then confusing, the civil war brought a southern tribe or southern nation called Judah, and it had two tribes. So he's bringing judgment on the 10 tribes, Israel, for 390 days, and now he's saying, I want judgment. I want you to do this as a sign of judgment on Judah, the two tribes, for 40 days. And prophesy against the city. And I'm going to place cords on you so you can't turn from one side to the other. You're going to do this. 390 plus 40 is 430 days. And take wheat, and this is what you're going to eat. Wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and emner. That's what his diet was going to be. And he said, you're going to eat this all throughout these days. and, And you're going to cook it and bake it over human poop. And Ezekiel's like, what? And you can read this. It's like, are you kidding me? I have stayed pure. Like, no way. And God says, okay, you can, cook, you can cook it over cow poop. God comes to Ezekiel and he says, I, you're going to be an object lesson. I want you to play war. You're going to play war, put Israel as a brick, do a little siege around here so everybody's watching you and you're just showing how Israel is going to be completely sieged, which it's a prophecy, and this is exactly what happens. Babylon lays siege to Jerusalem, the city. He's prophesying. They haven't heard about this yet, and he's doing this siege thing. And then for 430 days, he actually does this, literally does this, Wakes up at the beginning of the day, goes out there, gets tied up, lays down on one side. The judgment of, of Israel is laid on him, and he does that for 390 days. More than a year. That's what he does. Gets up and lays on his side all day. Then he goes back to sleep, wakes up the next day, does it again. And then, after 390 days, he does it on his right side for 40 days. And he, he's just this object of scorn, derision, mocking him goes on to say i want another object lesson from you i want you to take a sharp sword chapter 5 verse 1 use it as a barber's razor pass it over your head and your beard and take the balances for weighing divide the hair he divides it into three different pieces here and he says i want you to do this with the hair i want you to burn some of it and i want you to chop some of it up and scatter it and then i I want you to cast some other stuff into the fire it's all these three things but he basically makes ezekiel look the fool the beard was a huge piece for a male, right, in that time. And he's shaving off his beard and his hair. He's bald and shaved. And God's like, I don't care what people think. I want you to give them a message. This is what's going to happen to the people in Jerusalem. They're going to be killed by sickness. The hair was for sickness. A third of it was for the sword. It's just an object. It's rough. This is the call of God. This is the guy who fell on his face and then God said, stand up. Chapter 12 is another object lesson. Over there, it's, it's, it's more of the same. Judah's captivity, he's like, I want you to pretend like an exile and dig out. It's a fascinating thing. You can read it, read it later. Um, but the most shocking moment in the book of Ezekiel is chapter 24. You don't see it coming. And if you have never read Ezekiel, or maybe you don't remember if you read it a long time ago. Ezekiel, verse 15, the word of the Lord came to me and he said, Son of man, behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. 
sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban, put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, saying, this is what God is going to do, right? And that evening, my wife died. And I did what I was commanded. He came to the people in the morning. He says, God is going to take the life of my wife. She dies that evening. And she was tied to Ezekiel. This, her taking of life, God's taking her life was not judgment. It was a plan to use her death. And what's, it's just, it's like this gut punch, like, what? He falls on his face. God says, stand on your feet. I'm going to take your wife, the delight of your eyes. And God says, why? You are going to be assigned to them in verse 27. And they will know. I am the Lord. You, you need to understand, there is no mistake. You, you can't make this mistake. Don't even think this. God is not allowing anyone or anything else to take credit for her death. He's not leaving any room for some person to kind of come and prop God up and say, oh, no, 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 it was actually something else and God didn't really want that. No, God's, God's really clear. I am going to take the life of your wife so that people will know I am the Lord. I mean, we say we're on our face and then when he stands, but now you see what I mean? We need to be, we need to be working out what this really means to be on our face and who we're on our face in front of. Is this really the transcendent sovereign Lord over all or not? I mean, the people were panicking. They were like, what is going on? Why is this going on? I mean, does, it, does this offend you? Does this shock you? Do you get angry? Do you get afraid? In your mind, in our minds, is God permitted to do something like this? Is he permitted to call Ezekiel to this? Is he permitted to call her to this? I mean, answer that question. Think through that question. Is he permitted to call Ezekiel to this? And is he permitted to call his wife to this? So that people would know he's the Lord. I mean, God, as you go through Ezekiel, as we go through Ezekiel, this transcendent God will not be ignored. He just, he just won't. He moves and he acts of his own will. He doesn't take pulls. He doesn't care what people think. This is his world and it's his story. His plan. And unless we think it's all bad, once you get to chapter 36, it, it starts to go to this unbelievable message of hope. He gets this vision of the dead people, right? That all the bones of Israel, all these dry bones of dead Jews scattered all over this massive field. And he says, prophesy over him life. And Ezekiel sees this amazing vision of Israel coming back to life as a nation. And then chapter 38, he says, take some sticks, put them together, bind them together. That's the northern and the southern kingdom. Israel will be 
reunited and whole. I'm going to make her whole again. And then you see 40 through 48, and it's the, the temple being restored. God's presence comes back. The covenants are all restored in play. It's an unbelievable vision that he gets. God shows him this and shows him this and shows him this. So Ezekiel has this front row seat to God and his plan. The, the call of Ezekiel, it tests what you and I believe about chapter one. And he doesn't come and join our life and bless our plans. It's like this. He created us. He gifted us. He gave us talents. He gave us a family, a city, a community. And we were born in, and, and he calls us, fall on, our, fall on your face before me and stand on your feet when I call you, and I'm going to send you to serve me. Is there anyone here right now that's resisting God's call? I would imagine in a room. You hear Angie's story, I hear Angie's story, and I get it. Some of you have experienced significant wounding and pain, and there is a wall between you and God. You will not listen to his call. You're filled with fear. You worship him, but not totally, not on your face. You hear the call to stand, and and it's maybe, I don't know what, what it looks like. And maybe some of you here this morning, like, okay, that's not Ezekiel. Ezekiel's not your call, but you could look at this call and say, I know pain. Like, I get pain. And some of you, like, you're barely here. It's so hard. It's so painful. The price is so high. And it keeps going. It doesn't just stop. It goes on and on and on. I just uh, finished reading the story of uh, A.B. Simpson, and uh, I've read one story that was written, I don't know how long ago, but it was, it was the hometown writer, right? It's like the, it's the homer, right? The, the guy who always roots for his home team no matter whether they're bad or good, and they always just praise the person and never see the bad. And so I read that one, and the, you guys have heard that, right? Homer, that idea. Not Homer Simpson, but the hometown Homer. Sorry. Forget it. Pop coats are gone awry. Um, anyway, so that book was all, it just painted this great picture. It never gave, it never gave this full picture of A.B. Simpson. And A.B. Simpson's the founder of our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I read this new biography and there's all this stuff I've never heard. I mean, A.B. Simpson and his wife, they lost their two-year-old daughter to fever. I didn't know that two years old. Maybe Simpson and his wife had three boys. Three of them, all three, struggled with alcohol addiction. All three of them. Two of them died because of it. One in his 20s and one in his 30s, early 30s. 
He's, he's a spiritual leader. This denomination's exploding, and he has got these, he's got his boys that are just totally overwhelmed by alcohol and two of them with gambling. And it's, I mean, can you imagine the heartbreak? He's in the middle of, of leading this, and, and he loses. He buried three of his kids. He sends off six missionaries to go reach Africa, and, and they're all filled with, with just commitment. I'll stand, I'll go, and, and they had no real preparation. They didn't know what they were doing. That's because no one was really sending anyone at that point especially in America. So they were really blazing this trail and sending them out, and five out of the six die. And, and I think three of them died within the first month, something like that. It's crazy. And one comes back, and, and Simpson gets the report, and, and it gets out, and he gets ripped to shreds by the press, ripped to shreds. And even those in his denomination, or the alliance at that point, were like, What? What are you thinking? I'm like, can you imagine the weight? They, they talk about the weight and the, of responsibility of having sent these people out and, and having them die. He was a poor businessman. Awful businessman. Every deal he made, it seemed like he, he lost money. He, he would have dreams of doing this and he lost money. Dreams of that, lost that. He died in debt. Like, it was bad bad debt because it was bad business decisions and I say all that because A.B. Simpson I've always been like I'm a fan of A.B. Simpson I still am a phenomenal leader unbelievable godly leader and what God did to use this man to reach this world for Christ is, is is unbelievable but there was a moment towards the end of his life where it was it had caught up to him and he invited a friend over and his friend came in, and he just sobbed. He just wept and wept. He broke down. This is all so much. All of it. He had his friend read a, a hymn to him about God and how God looks after him and I, I remember just I, I read this back in January and I lost it like I, I was like I lost it when I read it and, and this last year was uh, this last year I had this word we do this I don't know if we'll ever do it again after this year because last year's word was so ugh I'm like I ain't gonna do that again we ended up doing it but we asked God at the, end, at the beginning of every year the staff does what's my word for the year God and my word last year, 2019 in January, was testing. That was my word. And I'm like, come again? Can I buy a vowel? <laughs> Can I get a different word? It's awful. I felt the blood literally drain out of my face because when God says testing, well, you know what that means. It's stuff like Ezekiel. And this, this last year, I, I wanted to run. It's a hard year. And, and it had more to do. This church is great. The church is, is, is healthy. We're, we're doing 
in so many ways just doing so good. So it wasn't about like freshwater. It's about this church growing and, and how do I lead it and the fear of the unknown, the fear of failure, the, the having to lose control, give up control because it's growing so much and I have to give stuff away and, and all that stuff. And I've never done this before. I don't know what it looks like to lead a church from this size to the next size. And that may not be like a, a vote of confidence for you. You're like, great, Scott doesn't know what he's doing. If you didn't know that now, Um, it's just been, I, I wanted to leave, wanted to run. I kept asking God, are you sure I'm not done? Are you sure I'm not done? Like, I, I, I could leave right now. I could go someplace. I'll, I'll do whatever, but are you sure? I mean, I just, that's what it was. And, and it wasn't about stuff that was going on here, like, because there's normal leadership stuff. Welcome to the club. That's just part of church life. It, it was this thing and leading in the future and me and and I kept asking him, and finally in November, and God was so gracious and just said, yes, Scott, you're here. And the elders affirmed that the staff did. And, um, but I kept asking, and finally in November, I, I asked him, and God said, don't ask me again. I've given you my answer. You're testing me now. Don't ask again. And I'm like, done. But I read this, and it just, when I read Simpson, and when I read Ezekiel, it just, my, the, the floodgates opened. I'm like, it's so hard. And invite the team to come up. I know we're running a little bit late, but I just, I think God wants to speak to us today. And whether you're refusing the call to stand on your feet, whether you're exhausted, overwhelmed, can't imagine another day of standing on your feet. Whether you're sitting here eager and saying, hey, I'm going. I, I'm excited about where I am. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I know God wants to speak to us this morning. It, it starts falling on our face. And if, if you're here and you're like, I can't go another day, maybe you just need to fall again. Chapter 2, there's one cool thing. The Holy Spirit picks him up. You go back and read. He stands on his feet, but as he's standing, the Spirit picks him up. And if you're overwhelmed, if you have walls, and it's just fall, just fall, and he'll pick you up. Let's sing this song and just let the Spirit speak to you. See what he says.